Welcome to season two of Sanity Pod by Sanity Media. I'm Audrey Scagnelli, and I think we could all use a little more sanity right now. For this season, you can expect to hear from the helpers, people moving mountains near and far to support their communities, many from the front lines, the kind of people Mr. Rogers always knew to look for. If everyone behaved the day that they did after a disaster hit their hometown, the world would be a much more beautiful place. People are willing to give, they're willing to sacrifice for people who they didn't know the day before, and it's, it's, it's really, really powerful. On this episode, we're joined by Mike Lee from the veteran-led Team Rubicon. They're a pretty inspiring organization on any day, but particularly inspiring in this moment in time. Their mission is to help people recover from natural disasters and humanitarian crises around the world, and they're playing a big role in COVID response. And later, we'll hear from Katie Scott. She works at a Trader Joe's in Manhattan and shares what it's like to be working on the front lines in a grocery store in the city. She also shares the story of a beautiful act of kindness extended to her from an Etsy shop owner who's based in Brooklyn. Mike, thanks for joining us. Team Rubicon works with over 110,000 veterans in the U.S., and your work takes place here at home and also around the world. You often respond to natural disasters. Do you have experience working with infectious disease responses? And can you share a little bit about what your COVID response looks like right now? Absolutely. Happy to be here, Audrey. For the past 10 years, Team Rubicon has been responding around the country and world. And some of those certainly have been medical or infectious disease focused. But really what we're seeing right now, especially in the United States, is, is unprecedented. A pandemic of this scale is something I don't think any of us have seen in our lifetimes. And it's kind of breaking all of the systems and processes that we have, which, you know, is not uncommon in the disaster space, but it's, it's certainly unique. We have started to kind of work outside our general scope of services and capabilities. Most of the time we're focused on direct service to survivors or homeowners in the way of getting them back in their homes after disaster. With COVID-19, we're seeing just all of these tremendous emergent needs where there are just gaps in ability and resources. And that's where Team Rubicon is really trying to focus. We have these 110,000 men and women who are committed to, to serving their communities, and we are trying to find ways to plug them in to support local neighbors and communities that have been impacted by COVID. A lot of that is involved with staffing, isolation or, or quarantine facilities in community spread locations. Um, and we're also providing last mile logistics for food banks and other local community services. Again, because you know all of us are in social isolation or in self-quarantine, there's many vulnerable individuals that don't have access to the resources that they need, whether that's groceries or medicine. We're using our volunteers to canvas communities to really figure out which of our neighbors are in need of help that may not be on the normal radar for support. Your volunteers, their own families are also impacted. Every single person in the world essentially is impacted by this. So the sacrifice that they're making to be volunteering with you all is all the more significant. It absolutely is. There's a lot of safety concerns that have to go into this. Top priority is ensuring the safety of the community and, and our volunteers. 
that presents unique logistical operational challenges. But you spoke of sacrifice and really to break through this pandemic and to flatten the curve, we are all involved. You know, it's not just the duties of the volunteers working in, in staffing these testing facilities. Every one of us, no matter whether we serve in the military, no matter what we do for our day job, we have a responsibility and we can all make a significant difference um, in flattening the curve. So yeah, the men and women in Team Rubicon are, are certainly taking some more risks than most, but I think we all really have a part to play no matter who we are. One thing that so many people are touched by is looking at different ways people are trying to use their skill sets to try to help their communities. Some from a first response standpoint, some from performing concerts or reading books online or you know doing things that are helping with keeping a positive spirit alive. Mike, I'd love if you could share a favorite moment that you've had as you've been part of Team Rubicon. I came into this organization, I had a background in advertising. Um, I'm not a high speed military veteran. I don't do, you know, emergency medicine. Um, I have very little technical skills to speak of before I joined. I, I'd like to say I've learned like one or two things since. And I, I think one very common misconception about disaster and, and kind of humanitarian crisis is people are always expecting the worst. They're always expecting to see the worst in humanity and for panic and fear to kind of prevail for it to be an inherently dangerous situation. And, and you know, disaster and, and crisis is certainly dangerous a lot of times for the aid workers or volunteers who go in. But in the times that I've been out in the field, I've been really inspired by how people pull together and help one another. And it's a kind of a common refrain within the organization that if everyone behaved the day that they did after a disaster hit their hometown, the world would be a much more beautiful place. People are willing to give, they're willing to sacrifice for people who they didn't know the day before. And it's, it's, it's really, really powerful. I, I always think of a moment in the Philippines in 2013 after Typhoon Ion hit the chain of islands and our mobile medical teams were walking through the communities, checking on survivors to see who needed uh, help. And one lady kind of came up to our, our mobile clinic and she was just kind of, she was chatting with the medics and the doctors. And she asked about the survivors from Hurricane Katrina. Um, and she said, we in the Philippines are used to this. We, we build with tin roofs and, and we can rebuild quickly. I hope the people that were impacted by Katrina almost 10 years earlier, I hope they're okay and, and rebuilding okay. And, and that, I mean, was kind of shocking. Uh, we were just 10 days after a typhoon came through and um, this lady was was thinking about survivors from a disaster around the world and, and hoping that they're okay. So that's those are really the moments that I think we forget about or don't look for uh, in the wake of a disaster. And they're, they're so prevalent um, and they're truly inspiring. That is so inspiring. Just incredible. This idea of seeing the best in people when responding to something out of the norm that is tragic or difficult actually comes up somewhat often with guests on Sanity, people who have done incredible things for their communities in a time of crisis and seen people from different backgrounds, different perspectives come together uh, in a way that they normally wouldn't. And I wonder from where you sit, how can we keep that going when we're not in a moment of crisis? I think um, when I joined the organization and call it 2011, I, I had just lost a friend to suicide. And I felt that by serving in Team Rubicon, I could 
try and heal that. The discourse at the time around veterans and, and mental health was, in my mind, not helpful. We would speak about veterans suffering from PTSD um, and TBIs and survivor's guilt. And I think we painted with too broad a brush. So I thought that through joining Team Rubicon, the organization could help change that discourse um, and bridge the, call it the civilian military divide and help people kind of see veterans for who they are as humans, not just this monolith that we have painted as a suffering portion of the population. And in the 10 years since, I think that still holds true about changing the discourse around veterans. But like you said, it brings together, this organization brings together people from so many different walks of life, from different corners of the, of the globe, from different sides of the train tracks in your own hometown. And yeah, sure, maybe it, it feels easier to make those connections after disaster. But there are so many ways to continue to serve and, and to help your community in any given time. You know, like right now, we have volunteers going door to door, just neighbors, helping neighbors figure out what people need when some people might be struggling. There's plenty of ways when we're not underneath kind of a, a national pandemic to go out and help. It can be daunting, um, especially if you're you know, not used to, to kind of working with other people, if you're kind of introverted like I might be. But as long as you're willing to have a discussion and communicate, I think you're able to make those bonds. And it's certainly easier when you have a common mission with another person. And that's why volunteer work can be so powerful. I'm going to ask you one last question because it's the question we ask every guest on Sanity. And that is, what are you most optimistic about right now, especially right now? I'm most optimistic about our, our communities and our neighbors and our country pulling together. Like I said, I think this is the human instinct um, in times of crisis is to reach out and to help and support and to make those connections. It's very easy to feel scared. That's a very natural response today. But I think it's important to remember that we all have agency over what happens next and we can all make an impact on this. And as this situation unfolds and hopefully dissipates soon, I think that will be an important reminder for all of us and in the fabrics of our communities that, that we have much in common and there's all something that we can give and do for one another. And I, I feel good about how we as Americans will come out of this. That's a beautiful message to close with. Mike, thank you so much for your time, especially with all that you have going on. Really appreciate it. That's my pleasure. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit teamrubiconusa.org or use the hashtag NeighborsHelpingNeighbors. Before we close, here's Katie Scott. She shares a little bit about what it's like to be working in a supermarket in Manhattan and also shares a beautiful quick story about an act of kindness from an Etsy shop. It's been very surreal, I think, actually hearing customers like repeatedly tell me if I'm at register, if I'm helping them on the store floor or something, instead of just saying, oh, thanks for your help or have a great day. You know, they're like, thank you so much for your service. And that's still, uh, like, I always immediately say thank you, you know, as anyone would if they heard those words. But in the back of my head, I'm still thinking like, wait, what? Do they think I'm in a war now? Like, I get that they're worried about me. And it's, you know, more of an act of love on their parts that they're saying this. But it's surreal, uh, especially because, you know, I've loved my job and I've been doing this for two years. But I've never really thought of it as, oh, my God, I'm extremely essential to, you know, people's way of life. But 
I mean, now we are, I guess, um, judging from everyone's responses uh, in the store. Yeah, it's uplifting. And I I do find that aside from wanting to be back at work, because I love the people I work for and I love the company I work for, I, I never thought I would say I feel like I now have a duty to my customers to be at work. I'm still adjusting to that. I'm not sure if you've shopped on Etsy much, but you can always add a note to seller. You could enter a size preference or a color preference. And I just kind of on a whim decided to say, hey, I work at you know this store in New York City. Thank you so much for making some really cool masks. They were, they were very you know fashionable looking and they didn't make you look like you were a surgeon at a hospital. Literally within minutes when I bought them, whoever at the Etsy website happened to be right at the computer when I sent it in. And I got this reply back saying like, hey, thanks for all of your hard work. You know, you really helped the city run because uh, the shop by total chance happened to be based in Brooklyn. So it was right nearby. I, I had originally bought two masks and they said they were funding one of them completely and were throwing in three additional masks in my orders. And they said, hey, you know, feel free to share some of these with your coworkers. So uh, when I get back to work later this week, I'm definitely going to be doing that. It was just so joyful. And we were going back and forth on uh, the chat feature on Etsy a little bit. Um, when I finally got the package, I actually sent them a little like selfie of me in it. I'm not really the type of person to, you know, get super emotional on my own, but it just, it warms your heart. I guess that definitely made my week, I guess you could say. And the masks look pretty awesome too. So that doesn't hurt. (laughs) If you'd like to check out these masks and they are pretty cute, check out Bomo Fuku on Etsy. That's F-O-M-O-F-U-K-U. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Audrey Scagnelli. And on our next episode, we'll hear from the founder of Feed the Frontlines New Orleans. They're feeding healthcare workers at almost every hospital across New Orleans while keeping restaurants in business and finding employment for local musicians. I'd also like to wish Andrew Lynn, Sanity's music producer, a very happy birthday. If you'd like to get in touch or if you've been touched by a helper, please email us. We're at info at sanitymedia.com. And don't forget to look for the helpers. As Mr. Rogers says, if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. <laughs>